those who are tuning in online at the house parties, we're so glad that you guys are there. For those who are tuning in for the first time, I just want to say my name is Mark, and we're glad that you're here. Hopefully this is not your uh, last time uh, joining us for this. Um, Sandy, can I get you to move your hands? Just because there's a lot on the screen. Right on. Well, this morning, I'm, I'm, to be honest, to be fair, I'm a little nervous uh, just even getting started. Uh, today is a little bit different than usual, and you'll see that. Um, uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about COVID today. And uh, I know that for some, you're like, man, I don't even want to think about COVID. That's all I hear about is COVID, COVID, COVID. I just really don't want to think about COVID today. And so uh, I, I feel like I, my whole introduction this morning is just disclaimers. So, uh, I, I, you know, to start with things like this, that today is not meant to cause division, what I'm talking about today is, is not meant to divide because there's so much of that already. I don't know if you noticed, you just see it. There's more and more of this um, polarizing uh, uh, feelings about this topic of COVID. And I'd also encourage you this morning, please listen to the entirety of the talk before you text me or before you email or before you comment. Uh, uh, I'm open for whatever those comments may be, um, to, to be fair. I would just say just to, to wait till you hear... Uh, hear things out. Um, for those who know me, I'm a people pleaser by nature. That's not always a good thing, but but I'll admit it. That's kind of where I fall. I, I want people to like me. I I I I just I fall in that spot, and that's my comfort zone, and that's where I like to stay. And yet today, uh, man, just feel like there's, there's, there's a, a burden of responsibility to share something with you that uh, as a leader, I just uh, as as your pastor, um, I feel like there, there's a need um, at this time to talk about this subject. And I know it's dangerous because we live in cancel culture, where if you know if you don't like something, you just like, that's it. And that used to be kind of the extent of it. But now people just write people off for one thing they say. It doesn't matter if everything else they said was great. All of a sudden they say something you don't agree with, pff, that's it. You know, write, write them off. And we do it to like politicians. We do it to... Um, to uh, celebrities, but we do it to one another as well. You know, it's like, oh, somebody doesn't agree the same way as I. They posted something, unfriend, that's it. Those people are, they're dead to me. You know, there's so much of that. And and I know that that's possible, you know, this week, that uh, next week there'll be fewer tuning in. But uh, it's something that I feel that, that there's, the, it's, it's worth the risk. You know, the one thing too, we're, we're all subject to confirmation bias. And when I say all, I mean myself as well. Confirmation bias simply means that we seek out information that already, that proves or, or supports the view that we already have. I, I fall in that category and you may as well. We want to find stuff. And, and you know what, we, we, even though we're already wired that way, um, we don't, we're not finding ourselves there uh, accidentally. Our social media is actually helping us to get there. The stuff that shows up on your feed, it's programmed to show up there to feed you more of what you already like and know so that it'll divide even more from those who feel the opposite. And you just see it happening. There's a, um, uh, a movie on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. If you haven't watched it yet, I encourage you to watch it. It just, it just unpacks what's actually happening with social media and the goal. The goal was never meant to divide, but oh, it's dividing. It's dividing culture. It's dividing uh, countries. It's dividing the church, unfortunately, and that's why I feel such a, a strong thing of it. You know, if we look at 1 John chapter 4, Jesus said, or sorry, John wrote about to the, to the followers of Jesus saying, man, I need you guys to love one another. You may not agree with one another, but man, I need you, you know, to love one another because that's what he's called us to do. And so I would just say if there's people who have a different opinion than you, they still deserve your respect. Why? Not because maybe their, their opinion is respected, 
But there's someone that Jesus loves, whether that's a, another uh, fellow Jesus follower, whether that's somebody, your neighbor, whether that's the politician themselves, they deserve our respect because they are someone that Jesus loves. And there's a temptation in all of us to, uh, to dig in our heels when we get onto topics like this. And we, we tend to get angry at the other side, you know? And so it's like, what's wrong with the left? What's wrong with the right? And we find ourselves in those places. And, you know, we, we, I don't know about you, but I find it easy to criticize the motives of other people. We're like, well, this is why they're doing that. Can I remind you that our hearts are, are deceitful beyond uh, all, it says in, in Scripture, that we don't even, we don't know our own motives, and we tr- don't truly know the motives of other people. Uh, and and it's, it's dangerous for us to, to make that assumption. You know, I find sometimes we're quick to paint the other side or paint, paint a group of people with, with one brush. And then yet, when it happens to us, we get all a- angry that they would do that. To, don't lump me in with them. I'm not like them. And so this morning... You know, I, I want to challenge us with this thought that there's different ways for us to think. There's different ways that we think naturally. Um, there's the, the there's, uh, there's emotional side to our, our thinking represented by the heart. And then there's the logical, rational, critical side to our thinking that's uh, represented with the gear. You know, <laughs> the emotional side, man, that's where we, where, where we fall often and most easily. You know, it's like the people that make emotional, um, emotionally-based decisions, we, we talk to those people and we say things like, what were they thinking? You know, how, how many men have, have had a black eye because their emotional response was, was anger? The way their decision was based on anger. Road rage. I mean, we see people with road rage. What is that? That's somebody who made a decision based on an, uh, on an emotion. Impulse. You know how we're so quick to, to go out and, and maybe you've seen the person. They bought a new car to celebrate the fact that they lost their job. And you're like, what was that? It's like, oh, I just felt like I needed it. An impulse purchase. What about infatuation? I was going to say love, but it's not the truth. You know, infatuation where somebody's like, well, I know we've only known each other for three months, but we're so in love. We're getting married. And you're like, what? But decisions that are made out of that and and fear as well. And we're going to talk more about that this morning. But how decisions we make in our lives based on emotional decisions, you know, can, can be these things that later on we look back at with regret. You know, the logical, the, the, the critical thinking, the, the, um, the, the rational thoughts where you weigh out the facts and you make your decisions based on them, that's not, that's not, our, that's not our default mode, not for most of us. You know, the truth for, for most of us is that it's the emotions that outweigh our, lo- our logic. And so this morning, the invitation is that regardless of whatever side you're on, maybe you're watching from home because you're like, those people that meet there, I'm not on that side, you know, uh, of this topic um, my invitation this morning is to simply, would we, would we take a couple minutes just to, uh, to lay down the emotional side, just even though we tend, that's our tendency, but to lay down that side of our thoughts just for half an hour, to take a couple minutes to think logically about this thought, and then afterwards, feel free, pick up your emotional banner and you wave it even more vigorously if you'd like, T- text, email, whatever it may be, have these conversations, but can we just call a ceasefire for just a couple minutes? You know, my goal this morning is not to tell you what to think. I think that's happening way too much out there right now. Everybody's saying, this is, how, this, is what you, this is how you have to think, or this is what you need to think, this is what you need to do. Uh, today, I just simply want to encourage us as Jesus followers, encourage us, whoever's listening, to say just simply to think, and maybe give a, a thought on, on how we might think about, about this subject, because it affects the decisions that we make. And are we making wise decisions that are based on facts, or are we making decisions simply based on the, the, the fear-based opinions of others? You know, we, uh, at this church, we encourage people to discover the truth for themselves. We're not here to say, yeah, I just believe whatever Marx is. All our Bible studies are set up that you could dig in and know the truth of his word for yourself, because it's truth. 
And today is very much the same that I would ask you to, to uh, discover the truth for yourself and help. And some people have asked me, like, well, Mark, where do I find these numbers? And where do I find these stats? And where do I find the truth for myself? It's exactly the purpose of this morning is to help you to find that and, to, and give you a place to start. You know, we're followers of the truth, who is Jesus, and we're seekers of truth. And so today I just want to look at facts. You know, I know that some, they, they, that right away, once you get from the facts, that the next step is I want to jump into the theories. You know, well, today we're not talking about theories. You know, we're not going to talk about Bill Gates, and we're not going to talk about, you know, Donald Trump or, or vaccines or any of this stuff. I just want to take a look at simple facts and see where we go from there. There's so much division over the theories. I, I watch brothers, you know, and sisters from our church who are, like, angry at each other, d- d- uh, arguing about theories. There may be some truth to the theories, but we won't know that until, un- until time tells us so. But for now, I'd, I'd encourage you not to get your heels dug in over the theories. Today, I, I want to simply just look at actual numbers. Doug Ford, in one of his, um, his uh, afternoon chats with the nation um, or the province, said, hey, you know, we've been spending the most money on health care than any other provincial government in Ontario has spent uh, ever. And he says, just look up the numbers because the numbers don't lie. And it's that premise this morning that I wanted to share with you as well, that the numbers the numbers don't lie. What do the numbers tell us? And I know this morning that when we say, thinking about numbers logically, those numbers represent actual people. And so I'm not saying that, there's, there's, that it's unimportant because those are someone's loved ones this morning that we're talking about when we talk about it as a number. And so for this morning, my, my thought is not to say, hey, we're only going to think logically, but just for this moment that we would think logically. And could we take a few minutes to look for truth in, in the middle of all the mixed messages and confusion? Could we take a few minutes to look for some clarity in, in the midst of the chaos, and above all, could we look for some unity in the midst of the polarizing opinions? That's the hope for this morning. Um, I simply, you know, I simply want to show you where you can find some of these facts for yourself. I, I see uh, around us, and I'm tempted to myself to make fear-based decisions based on the information that I'm given. And I, I see too many people doing the same thing, you know. And, and I see it on both sides of the fence. This is not a one-side thing. I see one side that's like, you know, so afraid of COVID that, you know, they're, they're, they're angry at people because they catch them accidentally not wearing their mask the right way or the right time. Or, or there's people who are like, they won't even leave their house because they're afraid to catch the COVID. You know, and then on the other side, there's others who are like, you know, don't take the vaccine. It's a big trick. You know, it's just the mark of the beast. Bill Gates is going to kill the world. Uh, there's fear on both sides. So this morning, I just simply want to take a look at truth. I want to take a look at facts. So uh, we're going to jump right in. Have you found that the messaging around this has been confusing over the last nine months? You know, we, we've, we've had a chance to watch this thing for nine months at least, and we kind of know what this baby's all about, or a lot better than we did way at the beginning. You know, the media uses the same words over and over and over. I don't know if you heard the word pandemic. You know, when I hear the word pandemic, I just forget the dem and think panic. You know, it's like the pandemic, the pandemic, the pandemic. We hear it over and over and over again. But do we know what a pandemic actually is? The definition of a pandemic is this. It's, it's, a, it's a new virus that's occurring over a wide geographic area, such as multiple countries or continents, and typically af- affecting a significant proportion of the population. That's Merriam-Webster. What a pandemic is, is more about how a virus spreads and how far it spreads than how dangerous it is. You know, there's other um, more dangerous viruses that, that have, they only fall under the category of epidemic because they don't actually spread outside of their country, and yet they're much more dangerous. This, this thing seems to find a way to travel. And, you know, when we think of pandemic, I don't know if you've seen the movie Contagion, where people are just dropping dead all the time. That's where my mind seems to go when I hear, oh, the pandemic. You know, we think the Spanish flu, because that keeps being brought up, or, or the plague, and we're like, bring out your dead, bring out your dead. We think that that may be possible with the messaging that we hear right now. 
You know, the, 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 the truth is that COVID has affected many, many countries over the, the past nine months. But my question is, is it truly an extremely deadly virus? We know it's a deadly virus. All of them are. But is it an extremely deadly virus? We've been made to think that way. The other word that's often used is the word outbreak. If you read the news this week, the local news, you'd see that there were two outbreaks in Brantford this week. You know, and we think about, you know, if you read just the headlines, you miss the facts. And for those who may, may uh, have just read that and be like, oh, no, you know, there's, there's, two, there's two outbreaks. You know, you start thinking, uh, you know, I think some, maybe the movie, right, where you're watching, you're like, man, it's like, this is, this is how we need to go shopping in Brantford now. Or, you know, actually forget it. Don't go anywhere near Brantford. I can see the Brantford house party right now probably looking at each other like, wait a second, is it you? You know, have you got the COVID? They're, they're watching online. Uh, you know, the, the, that, that might be the thing. But if you go back to the article and you read through the article, at the very last line, it just simply says on there that it affects one person. Each of these outbreaks affects one person because an outbreak is just one person or possibly two if it's in a school or another area like that where they've contracted in a specific location. So we see that these outbreaks are not these, these massive things. You know, the question is, where can I find the facts about what's actually happening with COVID for myself? And we're going to take a look at some sites where the media actually uh, gets their numbers from as well. They paint one picture. And I say it that way because, let me just, before I show it up on the big screen, I want to show you a couple things that I asked my daughter to make. She painted this picture for me. And uh, it's just a, for those who can see it there, it's a picture just of a fall scene. And then I asked her to paint me another picture. And uh, she painted this picture which is a, a rotting dead rat. Let me put the two pictures on the screen for you here so you can see the comparison. You know, I see these two paintings and I think, man, it's, what's incredible about those two paintings is they were both painted with the same, with the same uh, palette of paints. They just chose to paint the, to paint the picture in a, in a different way. And when I see what the media has put out there, they've painted a picture in a certain way, but it's one way to think about things. And I'd encourage you to, with this thought, if we just saw the numbers, would we come to the same understanding? Would we come to that same agreement logically? You know, is it the fear-based opinions of others that we base our decisions on? Or is, are we looking at the facts for ourselves and making fa- fact-based decisions using wisdom? So let's jump in. We're gonna put the, we'll put the websites on the, on the feed here for you so that you, if you want to check them up, and I encourage you to, please do. Go find the truth for yourself. But if we go to the Worldometer site, we can see at Worldometers, it's telling us what's happening in the world right now with COVID. The wor- in the world, there's been 66 million people that have contracted COVID. And we compare it to the Spanish flu. The Spanish flu was 500 million. You know, we look at how many people have died, 1.5 million. That's a lot of people. But if we compare it to the Spanish flu, there was a minimum of 20 million up to 40 million who uh, died of the, of the Spanish flu. And so we see, you know, there's a number at the bottom we don't always look at, but man, what a celebration. 46 million people have recovered from this. And if we go to the next, uh, further down on World Dombers, it actually tells us what's, what's happened so far. You know, in, in April, when they told us this thing's an extremely deadly virus, everybody be super careful. Man, we were super careful because we didn't know. But what we found since the nine months has happened, we can see right here that 97% of people who got COVID in the world, across the, across the, the planet, with different health care and everything, 97% have recovered. That leaves a, a 3%, which is still a pretty high number when you look at, when you think of individual numbers. But that's over the span of nine months. Do you know what's happening right now in the world? Right now in the world, here's the numbers that are happening. Of the 18 million people that currently have COVID-19, 18 million or 99.4% of them have mild conditions meaning they're going to live, you know, and then there's a, a 0.6%, not, not 3%, 0.6% is what's happening now. We know that 
they're in serious or critical condition. And we think maybe, well, that means they're all going to die. We'll get to that part. But that's what's happening in our, in our world today. And, you know, if we look at closer to our own country, we take a look at Canada. What's happening in Canada? You know, you can go to the website. I'll put the, the link there. But it's the government of Canada's website. This is not just somebody's thoughts or whatever, somebody's blog. This is what's on our government website that they're posting. And here's what they post. You know, that we see all of the cases in Canada this year on the, on the next slide. Here's all the cases that have happened so far in Canada. We can see, you can see this great, um, large amount of numbers up at the top. You know, just, just focus on this group here and up for now. This is under the age of 60. You see where, that there's a, a number of cases that have happened in Canada as a result of that. If we go to the next um, slide, we'll see, you know, the people that have actually died from COVID. We see that it's actually on the bottom side of that. Where the greater number of cases, and maybe just go to the next slide, where the greater number of cases have the greater percentage um, uh, chance of recovery or the less chance of dying from COVID-19. So we hear about cases and cases and more and more cases. But if you look at where the cases have happened in our country, that's where they're happening. And, and the people who are dying, it, they are in this older age category, which, which, is, which is tragic. But as we look at the numbers... I want you to take a look at the fact that it's not just based on age. We seem to think that, oh, no, if they're, if they're over 60, ah, they're, they're in trouble. Let's take a look at what's happening. If we look at the uh, 150 StatCan page, again, website uh, from Canada, it, it, it tells us that um, on the next slide that the majority of people who, who died between, uh, or sorry, healthy adults, Oh, at the top here. Yeah, sorry. The, the 9,500 COVID deaths between March and July, the majority, 90% of them had other existing conditions. It wasn't just their age. There was other things going on that, that COVID uh, helped uh, speed up the process. Healthy young adults, 100% of the COVID-involved cases. And I like that they put the age of young adults uh, of up to 45. I'm a young adult, according to the government website of Canada. You know, it's... Uh, 100%, 100% of the deaths under age 45 had at, had at least one other reason for, for that death. Something to think about. Let's move to Ontario. Let's come closer to home. Again, here's our Ontario, our government website. It gives us some of the things. If we go to the next slide, we can see the overview of the cases. Here's what's happening in Ontario, and this is what was happening as of yesterday. Here's the total number of cases we can see. This is, the, this is the cases. Here's the number we keep hearing in the media. Spike, 1,859 cases today. And then we, well, we, don't, we, we don't often hear this number. This is how many people got better yesterday who are no longer sick with COVID. And we rarely hear about this number. Because unfortunately, I, I think for the, the media, that number's not as high. That thing doesn't put the fear in people's lives like they, they would hope it would. 20 people, that's 20 lives. But when we look at it in just, just logically from a numerical standpoint, we see hospitalized. We see 709 and then ICU and on ventilator. This was yesterday. And we look at those numbers, we think those numbers are, those numbers are pretty high. But you know what? We look at, at um, just before we move to the next slide, I want to take a quick look at this. Here's how fast it's, it's transmitting right now. This means that for every 100 people that have COVID, they're going to spread it to 98 others. And if that continues, that'll spread to 96. This thing is not one person is spreading it to hundreds of other people or 15 or 20 other people. It's, it's not, and it, there's things that are being done as a result to help keep that transmission low, but the transmission is not, is not really, really high. And it's been coming down 
ever since. I know one of the things we think is, you know, that the asymptomatic uh, people are the ones, you know, I might be spreading it. Dr. Fauci just even shared recently that it's not the asymptomatic people that are pushing this virus or spreading this virus. It's symptomatic people. And that's why there's a benefit of when we're together to, to, to use um, any ways that we can protect one another. But if we look at the hospitalized and we look at the numbers and we hear in the media that we don't have enough beds, we're, we're going to be in trouble. But here again on the website of Ontario, early on in the pandemic, here's what they said. The province adds more than 2,000 acute care and critical care beds. Wait a second. We go back one slide. Making Lily do f- finger gymnastics here, but... Um, well, while we're here, when we talk about deaths, it's the number of people with a confirmed case of COVID-19 who died. It's not that they died of COVID-19. They just had COVID-19 when they died. Can you go back? Sorry, though. So if we look here, we see all these numbers, and we see the hospitalized, and we say, well, people are like, oh, we don't have enough hospital space. We don't have enough ICU beds. We look at the numbers, 202 and 116 on ventilators. We skip ahead two slides. They added 2,000 beds. What does that mean? It says right now the province has added 1,035 acute care beds, 1,492 critical care beds, which means we have 20,354 acute care beds in Ontario. So yes, that number looked really high of 200, but not compared to 20,000 beds. We look at 100 people needing a ventilator. We have 2,811 rooms with ventilators in Ontario. When you look at the numbers logically, does it make sense for it to be this fear-based paranoia? You know, then we take a look at the next website. We can see the cases that are happening right now. If you look, I, I just, again, want to point to this. Do you see these green bars? These green bars represent people who have recovered from COVID-19 in Ontario. But that's, you know, that's not the one we focus on all the time. But here's the thing. Here's the active cases. So in April, this is why, in April, these numbers here were all the active cases, and we had so many of them. But th- this is not April. Right now, these are the amount of active cases. Where are they? The majority under the age of 60. Here's the deaths that we see as a result. Wait a second. (laughs) Under the age of 60. Man, the people who are getting it, the people who have the majority of cases right now are the least likely people to die of COVID-19. And, you know, I've realized that there's not a place where they just track what's happening every day because you say, well, maybe, maybe that's changing right now. We don't know that. You know, kids are getting it in school, and maybe there's younger people dying. Take a look at this uh, chart that I made of tracking this just over the last 11 days. Over the last 11 days, tracking all those exact numbers, you see that under the age of 50, one person in the last 11 days. Five people under the age of 60, and then again, you see all the numbers high up on the chart. There's a specific group of people, elderly with comorbidities that are at risk and vulnerable, and we need to to make sure that we recognize that those are the people who need the most protection right now. We look at the next, the public health website of Ontario. You know, as we highlight, you know, the resolved cases, once again, we can go to the next um, uh, spot. Again, there's 1,859 confirmed cases, 1,624 resolved cases on this site. So they're matching the same numbers. I just wanted you to see that. But then if we look at the statistical things of how it's affecting, if you slide down on this website, you'll come to table four. Table four shows us what's exactly happening percentage-wise, statistically, because here's how the numbers work out. Under the age of 20, two, the cumulative death count is two with the little asterisk. If you notice that, what they realized yesterday, and you see it down here, the second death was recorded at the time of data was extracted from the system. Upon further investigation, it was corrected in CCM. It is no longer a death. 
This will be corrected in tomorrow's report. Today, you'll see it's back to one person under the age of 20 in a province of 14 million people. One out of 14 million people. So here we look at, if you're under the age of 20 and you get COVID in Ontario, what's the percentage of death? Zero percent. If you're under the age of 40, zero percent. If you're like me and you're older than 40, all the way up to 60, 0.4 percent. You know, as we get higher, 5.4%. And I think for some of us, sometimes you think, oh, no, if you're over 80, COVID's a death sentence for everyone over 80. The numbers don't tell us that. The numbers actually tell us that 25%, and this number's going down, 25% are the ones that succumb to it. That means that three out of four survive. It's not a death sentence for them. It's scary. It's dangerous. But it's not a guaranteed death sentence for them. You know, just to put it in perspective, let me show you your recovery rates, because they're just, maybe we, we don't see those numbers ever. Here it is. You get COVID under the age of 19, you have a 100% chance of recovery. I put, because there's not enough nines you can put in there to show for that one case. You know, if you're under the age of 40 and you get COVID-19, you have a 100% chance of recovery based on statistics. If you're um, 60 and under and healthy, you've got a 99.6% chance. And, and we, we know that all of us under 60 aren't all that healthy, right? No? Okay, just me. Even with, under, even with people that aren't healthy under the age of 60, the death rate is nine, or the survival rate is 99.6%. We look at 60 to 80, you know, it's 94.6%. Man, if you're like 79, like getting COVID, you're like, man, I like my chances. 94.6%. I don't know if you can see it there, but over 80, 74% right now, chance of survival. And all we keep hearing about is cases, 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 more and more cases, more and more cases. But if you look at those red numbers, man, that's really good news. That's really good news for all of those cases. You know, it's interesting to watch because as I track, I'm a numbers guy. As I track these numbers, you know what happens as they keep making more and more cases go up? Guess what's also going up? The percentage of survival rate. The deaths are staying the same, and so what's happening is they're they're actually causing their own pandemic to become less effective, less deadly as a result. I don't know if we thought about that. Is COVID really as deadly, extremely deadly as we were first told? And for you watching, you might say, Mark, that's incredibly insensitive. And when I think about it logically, and only logically, it is incredibly insensitive. Because I'm reminded that those The truth is that those numbers represent real people, and we're not denying that. I was reminded this morning, someone texted me, their friend passed away from COVID. We have people in our church whose parents have COVID-19. It's a scary thing. It's somebody's father and mother, somebody's grandmother and grandfather, somebody's brother, sister, or spouse, or friend. You know, death's a scary thing. Death is a scary thing for most people. You know, the truth really is we might avoid death by COVID. We might realize, oh, it's not as deadly as we, we were first led to believe, but can I tell you something? Every single one of us is going to die. We're dying right now. We're not going to avoid death. I think in our postmodern world, we think we, this is the only life there is. We've got to do everything to protect this life. Let's, let's do whatever we need to do because it's all about now. That's a hopeless existence. And to the Jesus followers here, I'd like to tell you, you know, you're dying. <laughs> that ain't good news. But we have good news because that's the reason Jesus came to the planet. So people like you and me would not have to have a fear of death. Why do we know that? Because he came for us. And we know that as he, he went around, he told people, listen, I, I, I came as a sacrifice for the world. I'm going to lay down my life for the sins of the world. And he did just that. And then the beauty, the miraculous, the undescribable happened. He rose from the dead. 
pinpointed everything that he said, man, this is true. You can believe, you, if somebody rises from the dead, you can believe what they said. They cannot do that on their own. And we realize he wasn't who he, he wasn't just a man. He wasn't just a good teacher. He came as the sacrifice for your sin and for my sin, which means that he conquered death because he didn't take his own sin. That's why sin had no chance to hold him there. Paul wrote to the Romans and said the wages or the debt cost of sin is death. We're all in that category. Whether we like it or not, we've been born into that category. We know it too. We're broken on the inside. We make choices we know aren't right and we do it anyway. That, that death, that, that's what all this stuff comes from. And yet Jesus said, man, I, I'm going to give you hope, give you the opportunity to, to, to have life. You know, it's the message of Christmas. Why do they keep saying, hey, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. It's the truth. The truth has arrived. You know, this morning, I, I wonder if as Jesus followers, too many have been making decisions that have just been based on fear. When we think about death, oh, death, where is your sting? You know, there's a church, we preach the resurrection from the dead that realizes I am simply being transferred from this body, this dying body, to eternal life. That is truth. That is truth. You know, I wonder, are we living like there's more to this life than just this life? We've talked about it before, but fear makes us live as if this life is all that it's about. All that it's about. And I'm not saying, hey, we throw caution to the wind because, oh, you know, oh, the witch is dead, COVID's dead, we're all good. Let's just forget the masks and, you know, whatever. That, that, that's not what we're saying at all. What I'm asking is that considering the actual numbers what would be the logical decisions that we'd be making right now? What would be the decisions that we'd make as individuals? What brush are we going to paint with? What, as a church, as Kingsway, what are we going to make? How are we going to make the decisions? Will we buy into the fear? You know, Paul wrote to the Philippians, and he wrote this in Philippians 4.8. He said, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. What? Fix your thoughts on what is true. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable and think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Fixing your thoughts on what is true. Man, everything's piling in on us to try and think a certain way. But he's saying, listen, choose to focus on what's true. Will we make decisions based on facts or will we make decisions based on theories and everything else going on around us? And, and what I say is this, the decisions are going to be very different based on those facts for different people. We have people, you know, I know watching that have had lung surgery. And for you, you know, the wisdom decision based on those facts is going to be different than for somebody who's a healthy young adult and the decisions they make, and that is okay. I think for us, it's really important to understand that we would look at one another making fact-based decisions, wisdom-based decisions that might be different from each other, but that we would honor one another and that we would show grace to those who make different decisions. You know, so many, so many I, I fear, just haven't made it on facts alone. They've made it up based on fear. And uh, my question simply is this morning, you know, if, if we make our decisions that way and it causes division, who wins? Just our enemy. Just our enemy. And the question, and I guess, you know, I'm going to go a little bit over this morning. I apologize. But the reason behind all of this and what stirred all of this up in me at the beginning was this thought about the lockdowns that are happening across our province once again. What about the lockdowns? Do they make sense based on the numbers that we've just looked at? And why does it matter why does it matter? You know, the numbers tell us exactly who needs to be protected. Is there a better way to protect, you know, the vulnerable without causing harm uh, to the rest? Is there a better way to protect them? Well, you know, I think about the ash borer. I don't know if you're familiar with this little guy, this little green guy. He's the one who's killed all the ash trees in the, in the area. You know, would we say, you know, if we had ash trees to say, you know, logically, would it make sense for us to just say, we're going to cut down all the oaks, cut down all the maples, cut down all the beaches, cut down all the other trees just to hopefully protect that one variety? Well, no, of course we wouldn't. 
It doesn't make logical sense. Does it make logical sense to lock down all of the people who have a 97% chance of recovery from COVID-19? Does that make logical sense? Does it make logical sense to, to close the small businesses but leave the big ones open where more people can congregate if we're so worried about it spreading when crowds congregate? Does it make logical sense to bankrupt the middle class and to protect them from a virus that has zero chance of killing them? Does it make logical sense to risk the overall health of a nation for the health of a few? Does that make logical sense? And what is being sacrificed when we decide we want to put the health of a few? Uh, and what are we sacrificing for the health of this nation? And my question is this. Have we, considered, have we considered the other side of that? That health is not just physical health. That there's mental health. That we know in December and this time and age is, at a, as, is, is a de- decreasing all the time, plummeting. What about financial health? What about spiritual health, moral health, emotional health, relational health? What about all of the rest of the health? What about the other physical health not related to COVID? Does it make sense? Does it make sense? Is it logical to lock down? And the reason, you know, I I ask these things is I look and I think about our politicians, and maybe we don't often realize that they're just human too that our experts are human too, that they may be making you know, emotional decisions or, or maybe it's logical to them, but our challenge this morning is that we would pray for them. You know, part of the reason why my concern and why I feel like I need to share this is not that we, we hate people. When, when, when COVID first happened, Kingsway was the first church in Haldeman to say, we're gonna close our doors in order to protect people because we love and we care about people. But right now, I feel that based on what the numbers say, that Kingsway will be the last one to close should the lockdowns come here. And I don't say that as an if because I think it may be a when. When I think about Toronto right now, last, last part of, the, of, the, of uh, COVID, churches were still allowed to remain open. We're allowed to do this right now. But in Toronto, they said that's no more. In Manitoba, they've shut down the churches 100%. They can't even have drive-in services where they, spend, where they sit in their own vehicle with their own friends and family because it might somehow get them. We've got whole provinces locking down completely. And, and, and I wonder, what do we do as a church? You know, I wonder, does it make sense? Does it make logical sense to lock down the one organization that's actually designed and wanting to help meet all of those other needs? The ones who are there to be for the comfort and consolation to those who are going through depression. The ones who are buying gifts uh, out of the goodness of their heart to support those who are, are in need. The ones who are there with marriages that are in trouble. Man, I love hearing about our Bible study ladies where you guys are getting together and doing stuff for one another, being there for one another. Does it make logical sense to shut down the group of people who would volunteer to put their lives on the line and go into Anson Place and other places to actually serve those who have COVID-19 with, with not caring about their own lives as much as the lives of others, does that make logical sense? And for me, when I see December being this place where there's going to be even more, man, as a church, if we get locked down, that we would still be the church. And we'd have those opportunities to reach out to people that as a food bank and families are in need, the, the food bank knows of some, but there's others, and maybe you know of them, that we'd be the ones. But do we just stand by to allow those decisions to be made? Do we just stand by? And, and, and I want to leave you with two thoughts. Should we just allow the freedoms that we have as Christians and as Canadians to be removed from us? Does it make logical sense based on the numbers to allow those freedoms to be removed? And I wrestle with this uh, to my core because I think there's two things. I just want to bring your attention to two laws. One is the law called the Charter of Rights, which is the highest law of our land. When we think, you know, oh, we're gathering and we're singing and we're doing things, we're maybe breaking the law. The highest law of the land says this, Canada is founded upon principles that recognize the supremacy of God and the rule of law. The supremacy of God is, is, is written into the fabric of our highest law in our land. The Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms guarantees the rights and freedoms set out, which are below. He says, uh, uh, in subject only to such reasonable limits. 
Are the limits reasonable? Logically, are they reasonable? Uh, Prescribed by laws can be demonstrably justified. Can they demonstrably justify that we're going to lock down the healthy? (laughs) Does that make logical sense? If not, then all of these other things remain true, that everyone has the following fundamental freedoms, freedom of conscience and freedom of religion, freedom of thought and belief and opinion and expression, including freedom of the press and other means of communication, freedom of peaceful assembly, which is what's happening here, and freedom of association, freedom of person and the right to liberty. There's freedoms that, as a church, we actually have greater freedoms than the small businesses, greater freedoms than other Canadians, simply because it's written in our Charter of Rights. But will we stand for those? And I wrestle with that because of this point, that we're not just called to the highest law of the land. We're called to a law even higher than that, and that's the law of Christ. That, yeah, we can stand and we can fight for our freedoms, but we can't fight in a rebellious way. There's no, there's no um, allowance for that for us to be. But what I, I pray for our nation, that we were known as the true north that is strong and free, and I don't know if we still are today. And I don't know if that something isn't said and done that we will be, that our kids will grow up in a land that is strong and free. Not when freedoms can just be taken away without logical reason. And I want to leave you just with these words. I just want to read these verses to you and let the word of the Lord just speak on its own. Acts 5.29, when Peter and the apostles were challenged saying, listen, you may no longer do this. You may no longer do this. You may no longer speak in the name of Christ. You know, we have it right now where the laws say you may no longer worship. You may no longer have uh, children's ministry. You may no longer pass the emblems of communion uh, unless it's in, in safe ways. You may, um, you know, they're put, passing a bill. You may no longer talk about the, the transgender um, possibility that, they, that, that, that there's possibility for change. You may, you, you, that, that may become criminal very soon. You may not, you may not, you may not. How, how much of that will we allow? Here's what Peter said to them. He said, listen, we must obey God rather than a human authority. And my challenge and encouragement to us is that that would be the heartbeat of every Jesus follower that we would obey. And I'm not talking about mutiny, rebellion, or anything like that, because here's what it says. Jesus said the law of Christ is this, John 13. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. This is my new law for you. Love each other. Love each other. Maybe you don't agree with one another, but love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another, and your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. In Philippians, Paul explained that law this way, saying, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others, but be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out just for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. In Matthew, he wrote and said, pray for your enemies. Do good to those who want to do harm to you. Choose to act in love. In Colossians, Paul writes this, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. They may not agree, but live in forgiveness. Choose that. Remember that the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Verse 14, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, in that perfect unity. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Don't be living in fear. Let his peace rule there. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness, let it fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with the wisdom he gives. Sing, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And to the Jesus followers, Jesus prayed for us in John 17. I'm praying, this is Jesus. I'm praying not only for these disciples here in the garden with me, but for all who will ever believe in me, which includes us this morning. He says, I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so the world will believe that you sent me. And Paul would later write to Timothy years later, 
to the next generation of Jesus followers, Timothy, I urge you, first of all, 1 Timothy 2, 2 to 4, I said, first of all, pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. The, the, the idea that the world was not right at that point, pray for them. He says, pray for the kings and all those who are in authority so we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked with godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. This morning, my hope and my heart is that as Jesus followers, that we would embrace the law of love, that, that we would embrace truth, but we'd be like Jesus where it was with grace and truth, that we would consider things and realize we need to consider it in a logical and emotional way, and that we'd find the proper balance between the two, that we would pray for our politicians. And so this morning for our discussion questions, they're not questions, because I know what can happen when you open it up for discussion on a topic like this. So we're simply just going to obey what Jesus told us to do, and we're going to pray. So, you know, uh, sometimes we gather around a bunch of different tables, um, but this morning, I, I just want to encourage you, if you could, just to gather around the table that you're with and just to take a couple minutes. If you've got to leave with kids, I totally understand, but that we would just spend a couple minutes to pray together, that we'd pray for our country, that we'd pray for unity of believers, and that we'd pray for our politicians, for Justin, for Doug Ford, for uh, Toby Barrett, for Mayor Hewitt, for our new MP, that we would just take a few minutes to pray together. And if you can't do it now, I encourage you to do it later. For those online, maybe you're going to have a chance to do that in your house party uh, or just individually, but I'd love for us to do, take a couple minutes to do that. Can we pray together right now? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the freedom that we have in you, Jesus. Thank you for the high call to live out lives of love, to to be obedient to to that above all. Lord, we wrestle with this stuff. There's so so much confusion. There's so much hurt and pain going on with with, uh, our world right now, but you know that. God, and I thank you that you sent your son, that you sent hope and life and joy and peace to the world through a person. We can know you and experience all those things as a result and live that way and shine in our world that way. Holy Spirit, help us, I pray. Help us, I pray. May we live out our lives like you, full of grace and truth. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. It's the reason I'm here today. I'm grateful to you for it. It's in your name I pray. Amen.